means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are doing Chapter 6, The Noble and Most Ancient House of Black. That's a very long chapter title. Uh, We have Julie with us today. Hi everybody. Third straight episode for you, this time without Jen though. I know, it makes me a little sad. But I mean, let's be real. If Sirius Black is a topic of discussion, you know I'm here. We're trying to get you in early on these (laughs) Order of the Phoenix chapters. Yeah, this is this is like the perfect chapter for you because it is a serious black, background heavy, in depth, dense chapter in that there's a lot of information being given, not a lot of action. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about it a little bit before recording that like it's a chapter that when you kind of like go through it, you're like, okay, cool, like nothing really happened, and then when you're actually looking at like some of the details that are in there or some of the things that like they're randomly finding in the space or little tidbits of information. And you're like, whoa, okay, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was just like a random fluff chapter, but like there's a lot of stuff happening that's not really like happening at the forefront. Yep. Before we get too far into it, I uh, just wanted to shout out uh, Danielle D, who we've had a recent shout out for. Uh, she left a comment on our chapter three, the advanced guard chapter that said, I definitely agree with everything that was said about the chapters and the books. When Molly said getting the band back together, that made me think of my summer camp this year. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening and and giving us that feedback. We we love that you're continuing to listen through all of the episodes and and give us that comment and feedback. We, We appreciate it. This chapter, like we just said, has a lot to it. There's obviously the cleaning of the house. We get some background on the twins and what they're up to behind the scenes. We get a whole bunch on Sirius's family and family tree, specifically. Um, But a couple of little things before we get started. I know we would talked in one of the previous chapters here recently about the idea that the kids aren't allowed in on the Order of the Phoenix meetings. And we just had every kid allowed outside of Ginny. They're just going to go back and tell Ginny, right? I mean, I would assume so. Even if they tried to do the, like, okay, like... We're not going to do it. We're going to try to, like, I don't know, protect her innocence or whatever you want to say. Like, Ginny is literally rooming with Hermione. What what exactly do you think is going to happen, Molly Weasley, when Hermione walks into that room and she's stuck with Ginny? Right. I mean, they're, they're talking about the fact that nothing was really deciphered that they couldn't already figure out, except for the weapon. So they immediately break into speculation on the weapon, to your point about what you're talking about. Yeah. And then I love the quote by George, speaking of Ginny. When he's like, you know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Size is no guarantee of power. And I'm mm-hmm. like, look at you, George, with the I just feel drop so, of like, wisdom. so, like, insightful. Well, yeah, like, But, woof. like, the thing that I find funny when they're all talking about the weapon is they all assume it's a weapon of death. Which I find yeah. interesting. Which makes sense. Like, when you think of a weapon, you don't think of, like, you know, something that's going to, like 
create more rainbows. Like, no, usually you think, like, death and destruction. What does Voldemort need that he can't already do? Yeah, well, and they talk about that. Like, between all of the different, like, curses that are out there. Well, think like... about this. Like, Voldemort's obviously very adept at the Cruciatus curse and the Avada Kedavra. Well, Peter Pettigrew got away with killing ten muggles. Yeah. Like, the spell he used killed ten people. Yeah. Like, well, and between, like, you know, there's potions that can be made, there's curses, like, there's so many things out there that I think it's so, of a normal teenager, I think it wouldn't be naive, but of, like, the teenagers that we're currently talking about who have seen what they've seen, I think it's very naive for them to just assume that, like, Voldemort needs a weapon of death versus, like... Hmm, maybe it's a clue to something, or maybe it's Dumbledore's weakness, since Dumbledore is the only one he fears. And like, I just find it very interesting that the automatic assumption for someone who's already essentially performed like a mass genocide before, mm -hmm. like, yeah, that you think he needs something. He's already adept at killing. He doesn't yeah. need any. He more. doesn't need something like that. Like, what is the thing that Voldemort? Like, the last Needs. time this was a thing, he needed just a stone. Yeah. Just a stone is all he really well, wanted. Well, and that's the thing is when you think about, like... Or a diary. He used yeah. a diary to almost come back. When you think about, like, the Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone, whatever version you're reading, like, mm -hmm. it was so that he could live forever. So if that's what he was trying to get before, like... Okay, then you look at the diary, and the diary was so that it could bring him back into, like, a corporal form. And so, like, when you look at what he's tried to grab as, like, weapons, quote-unquote, in the past, because I would consider that a weapon. Like, if you're not able to die ever, like, right. yeah, that's a pretty solid weapon. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Small, indiscreet. Yeah, and none of the things that he, like has used as weapons against the, not against the trio, but like that the trio has interacted with. They've never been weapons that have caused. They've never been weapons in what the vast majority of people define as a weapon. Yes, you know what exactly. I mean? Yeah, so it was an interesting kind of conversation that they kind of had regarding that, but it was honestly relatively brief, all things considered. Yeah, because, um, well, then you had Molly coming back up, which, again, I've made this argument in the past, but why did you have the children come here if you're going to try and keep all this information from them? Anytime that they try to overhear something or they try to talk about something going on with the Order, you try to, like... Who would have watched them at the borough? Would you have, like, Charlie's working, Bill's working... Percy's obviously not in the picture at the moment. Yeah, but I mean, you're telling me that, like, there's no type of protection spell that could essentially... I think it's leaving the kids on their own. ...lock them Because Molly and Arthur need to be in the conversations. Yeah, right? but at the same time, like, I think it would also be easy enough to... If Molly's at the borough with all the kids, then... Arthur can apparate back and forth. Yeah, or Arthur comes back to hang out with the kids for an hour while Molly gets briefed. Like, I think that there's ways around it. And I feel like it's just very frustrating to see how hard they're trying to keep information from all the children that, like, you could have put the children in a safe house somewhere else. Like, we know that safe houses are a thing. You have Dumbledore on your side. You're telling me he couldn't make one more? 
You know, all that I can think of right now is just the burrow sitting vacant, gnomes running wild everywhere. It's making me so sad, Dan. No. <laughs> gnomes having their way with the backyard. <laughs> Uh, there's a couple of small details that I really like in here. Um, I, I think it's great writing from from her going from the reality of it mm-hmm. into so like seamlessly slipping into a dream state and then coming out of it. Yeah, I think is really really well done. Like it almost takes you like two sentences into the dream to figure out like oh this is definitely a dream you fell yeah. asleep. Really well done. Um, Ron bolts the door before they go to bed uh, because he wants to keep creature out of the room. Does that work? Just bolting the door. Like, Dobby got into Privet Drive without any hesitation, and he had bars on the window. Like My guess is, is that, like, Creature could still get in the room, but with what we see from Creature in this chapter in particular, like, he's trying to be sneaky about things. And so, like, popping into a room is going to make some type of sound. And so my assumption is is that like if he's trying to be sneaky, he's not going to just pop into the room. So bolting the door works. I wouldn't put past creature to like pop in a vent and like come out of his head of a vent or something like <laughs> but that. But also like they're or not just locking... undo the locks. Well, but they're also not locking the room when they leave. It's only right. an interior lock, so creature can get in like anytime he wants. Whenever. Anytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of creatures in a room, you get Buckbeak <laughs> chilling in a bedroom. Which is just an interesting I'm kind of vision. so glad we got an update on Buckbeak. Though. How have they not gone to see Buckbeak already? I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Okay, we'll add it to the list of terrible things that Harry has done in his past, what, 36 hours of being with everyone? Uh, you get the twins apparating into the room to have this discussion about the weapon and such. Uh, and then they say, it's harder in the dark. Does that make sense at all? No. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess we don't know what you have to do. Do like if you have to like visualize the space, but that still doesn't make sense either. You visualize the space and then you apparate to that space. Because like, what happens if you're like I don't know visualizing the Eiffel Tower and instead of ending up in Paris, you end up on some like mini golf course that has an Eiffel Tower? So I don't think it could be like that. Would be awesome. Visualizing it, like I don't. I mean, I don't understand how it. Works, but I. I think that's them just making excuses that they're not perfect at it just yet yeah and they're like stumbling out of it and hitting their unless like maybe while you're doing it like you can almost see your end point and you're essentially like landing you know what i mean so like if you're going into a dark room you can't necessarily see where the bed and the floor is i don't know maybe it just seemed like an odd statement because you should be visualizing where you're at anyway but anyway anywho uh speaking of uh, creatures again, we get a nickname mention for Sirius, and that's the Snuffles reference again. I know, and it just like it warms my heart <laughs> because I just love the ridiculousness of like Sirius's like nickname being Snuffles when he's in his Animagus form. <laughs> I like him referring to himself as Snuffles. Yes, I find that very just... um, and I also love it though because like. When we get that Snuffles mention, it's Sirius talking to Harry about wanting to be able to come with him um, to his ministry hearing. And I think that it's so nice to see like these 
we talked a lot in the past two chapters about Sirius and being a father figure, a parent figure. And it's like little things like this where you start to see the like, Sirius is trying so hard to be like a good parental figure to Harry. Like he knows that he can't just like, you know, strut into the ministry as himself. But he's like, hey, if I come in as like this big black dog, like, can I be there so that I can like support him and be there for him? I think it's so sweet. Uh, it's serious try this <clears throat> I feel like this chain of chapters here that you've been on these past three are serious struggling with the fact that he can't contribute in a way that he one he's capable of yeah and and two that he really wants to and I, I it must be hard if you were serious to what because at the end of this chapter we learned that it will be Arthur escorting yeah. Harry. And it must be hard for Sirius to sit back and watch Arthur kind of have that pseudo-parental moment with Harry being like, no, come with me, I'll support you, we, we got you through this, we'll, we'll be fine. Sitting on the sidelines must be real hard for him. Yeah, well, and I think also, especially after the arguments that happened in previous chapters mm -hmm. of the, like, you know, you're not his father and it's like i feel like it's got to be really hard when it's like you literally what yesterday had the conversation of you're not actually his parent and then like the little things that you can do that are more parental are also like essentially taken away from you all from it's one thing if he actually committed the crime he's on the run for but i think the unfairness of him being an innocent man and still having this imprisonment, like mm -hmm. we've discussed at the beginning of this, where it's like, I can't escape prison ever, even though I'm technically innocent. Yeah, and I think, like, with a lot of this, too, like, <clears throat> you're seeing Sirius's, like, growth, even through these couple of chapters, because at the end of the chapter, when they're talking about the ministry hearing... And Harry is asking Sirius if he's going to be able to come with him. Like, Molly kind of starts the heading off of saying that Sirius can't go. But Sirius, like, essentially cuts Molly off and says that he can't go. Yeah. And I think when you compare that to, you know, the childish arguments that Sirius and Molly were having in the last couple of chapters, like... I think it's really nice to see that growth of Sirius kind of being like, no, I'm going to take, like, I'm going to be the one to tell Harry that I can't go. It's going to come from me. I'm not going to make someone else be the bad guy when I should be delivering this right. news. Well, I think you see, that's a great example of the adults in the room kind of taking a step back after that debacle. Yeah. And being like, we got to be better than that. We have to be a little bit more united for their sake. Yeah. And for our sake. We got to be... United on all fronts here if we're going to actually be successful in this. So swallow our pride a little bit, swallow the ego, ego, and let's make amends. Yeah. And I think you saw both Molly and Sirius like recognizing like, okay, it's... We have it, to co-parent. Yeah, it, it's fine. <laughs> and to loop, Lupin made the point where it's like, Molly, you're not the only one in this room that cares for Harry. Yeah. The whole reason why a lot of those people joined up in the first place is because of their affection towards Harry and his parents, but and the cause. Uh, we will get back to Molly and Sirius in a little bit. Uh, let's get to the cleaning of the house, which seems like such a mundane thing <laughs> in itself. But if you like Disney, go back and listen to the chapter four 
discussion right out the gate in, in that episode with Jen and you going through the comparisons of Haunted Mansion and Tower of Terror with this house. This is a lot. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is the education that magical children get that Muggleborns do not. Because this is, again, mundane things of like cleaning out a house or whatever. Like Ron denoming the garden at home yeah. at the borough. They're hunting doxies. They're trying to clear out boggarts. They have spider tweezers. Okay, but the spider tweezers, I do have a thought on those. Uh-huh. So it has to be something to do like blood spells, right? Because like assume. we clearly have blood magic in this world, mm-hmm. and like it says that the spider tweezers were like crawling up Harry and tried to like stick him, and then Sirius like smashed it. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was like, this is how you do blood spells without having to like go up to your nemesis and be like, hey, what's happening? Let me just uh, poke you with this knife really quick. Clearly, clearly OSHA needs to have standards in the wizarding world about bloodborne pathogens. Yeah. If you're in the healthcare field, you get that reference. (laughs) We get the spider tweezers. We get Sirius being bit by a snuff box that caused wart-like sores, which I think we so very rarely, because we're spending so much time with kids in this series, we so rarely see proficiency by adults And it's like, this thing happens to Sirius that can be alarming to most people. And he's just like, huh, that's a thing. And done. (laughs) Like, like just cleans it up without much. Didn't have to go running to, like, St. Mungo's or anything like that. He's just like, nah, I got this. Yeah. Whatever. It's just a a shout out to, like, uh, Sirius is a proficient wizard, even though he's being kept in the house at all times. Mm -hmm. We get... A music box that weakens you and makes you drowsy. You get a heavy locket that no one can open. An order of Merlin first class to Sirius's grandfather, who uh, he claims just donated a bunch of gold to the Ministry of Magic for I mean, it. sounds about right. That's probably, <laughs> probably very accurate. Here's the thing about the creatures. They, they're, they're doing everything. They're getting rid of all of these creatures as, as best they can, except for the bogger. They're leaving that potentially in the... Uh, in the drawer because they just want to make sure it's a bogger. So they want to have Mad-Eye come through and take a look with his magical eye into the cabinet or drawer or whatever and just make sure. Does that mean he can see the true form of a bogger? I just assumed that it meant that he has so much experience with them that he would be able to tell you just by like looking at it. Because I'm, like, interpreting if he could see through the drawer, then he could see what it actually looks like because it wouldn't have transformed into the fear yet. Because he's not, like, interacting with the bogger. Or does the bogger recognize that it's being being watched and it does transform? Like, I don't know how that magic works. I mean, I almost feel like it would have to be something like that. where Or, like, does a bogger just, like, stay in... The form of whatever the last fear was? Maybe. Uh, plus, it's in a drawer. So, if it was, like, turning into something rather large, it would break out of the drawer, I right? Mean, I would assume that it could... Like, change its size? Change its to size to, like, form? fit. What do you think Moody's fear would be? 
He's pretty fearless. Yeah. He's seen a lot. He's seen and done a lot. Well, it's like he's seen a lot. He has. It's. Is it someone? We don't really hear about like a person. Is it someone who doesn't practice constant vigilance? (laughs) Is that his greatest fear? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what would possibly scare Moody. Um. So yeah, uh, the two things about Mrs. Weasley here, as they're fighting the, the uh, other residents of this house. Um, one, she is wearing face coverings while hunting the doxies because well, of the spray. Yeah. So I, I like the uh, the idea of all of them just masking up as you're spraying this toxic chemical about the room. And uh, she is still reading Lockhart. Actually... I don't think that's as crazy as you initially think it sounds, because if you think about it, like, Lockhart didn't do any of the things he wrote about, but someone did. So, like, the information in his books is probably, like, actually helpful. It's just not from Lockhart. And she already spent the money on the books, so she already has them. You think, like, her experiences would tend to lead her away from such things like Rita and lying about Hermione and that being debunked and obviously the whole Lockhart debacle of their second year you'd think like Molly would just put anything Rita Skeeter or Lockhart like to the side I get your point though you're right you're right about your point is the information in the books are probably accurate it's just how he got that information well that's assuming that like Molly has been fully told about everything with Lockhart because we don't really see any of that like information being shared. And when you think about Lockhart was the same year that Ginny essentially was kidnapped mm-hmm. and almost died. Like she had other things on her mind than uh, worrying about Lockhart. She loved Lockhart. I know. I am she a little surprised Gilderoy. that she didn't like burn the books when Lockhart didn't save Ginny. But and then just disappeared like fired and then just goes away and it's a little odd but oh i'm I'm sorry i have not even told you all of the things that are in this house my bad there are also large spiders hiding in dark crevices throughout the house no thank you i'm out uh you are with ron then who just disappears for long stretches of the time nope i would be out of the house like not even just like in the kitchen i'd be like i'm done it's fine I'd rather be in that graveyard that I was in like a month and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, We also get purple robes that try to strangle Ron. How would you deal with a house that's this bad? I mean, this is like, this is aggressive and dangerous. Like they mentioned the house fighting back in a way. Yeah. Well, and I think the crazy part is is that like, you have magic at your disposal. Yeah. (laughs) Because like... When I think of, like, okay, if my house was, like, infested with things, but I lived in a magical world, like, I'd just, like, you know, flick my wand and ta-da, house is fine. Do they have magical but exterminators? I would assume so. I would assume they'd have to, right? Like, I would have to think that sometimes things just get, like, too bad that you need to, like, call someone else in, but, like, I, I don't even know. Like, I get why you picked this house as, like, the headquarters for Order of the Phoenix, because, like... Nobody's there. No one's going to really, like, think about it. But, man. It's a lot. You're telling me Dumbledore couldn't have walked in, waved his wand, like, four times, and cleaned the house for everybody? 
<laughs> like, I get that he's a busy man, but like, come on, bro. Well, I, I think and another thing that the that they're doing is having the kids do a lot of it to keep them busy and yeah. keep them occupied, uh, which is still dangerous because if, if you remember what doxies are, they are biting venomous versions. They're like dark pixies. Yeah. So, or dark fairies. So that's a dangerous thing. Unless you're the twins. How about that for a transition? Ooh, that was a good one. Thank I you. like that. Thank you. <laughs> Unless you're the twins who start collecting the doxies as they're being immobilized. Uh, and they say that they're taking them to start experimentations with the venom. Yes. They... What? They have been grabbed... Like, if you pay attention to the chapter, they also grab um, the snuff box. Yeah. Um, that bit serious and it's like they are messing with like some serious stuff here. Some of it's just dangerous magic. Some of it's dark magic specifically. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like kind of terrifying when you think of the stuff that they're grabbing. You sit there and you watch them and you're like, okay, like, are you both insane or are you both geniuses? But like also, how have you guys not accidentally like died? Killed each other? Yeah, because, I mean, your experiment, they said they're experimenting on themselves, which I give them a ton of credit for, by the way. Yeah. Because they're not putting, when you're experimenting with stuff that's this potentially dangerous, especially if you don't know exactly what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And how you they're don't, all going to interact with each other. You don't know the potency. You don't know, like, any of that. So are you putting anybody else in danger or at risk? The only time when they did was when they dropped the candy for, for Dudley. Mm-hmm. That could have been bad. That could have been a problem. Granted, Arthur was there to help correct any issue, but yeah. that was a risk. And I think they've made a very mature, brave decision to start experimenting using themselves. They just, uh, you know, I think they say Molly just assumes they've been dueling with each other or whatever because they yeah. have bumps, they have bruises, they have cuts, they have weird things growing on them, all, all, all these kind of things. It's a lot. But I have in my notes here the twins, entrepreneurs inventors visionaries because yeah they're i mean that's what you do as like a scientist as an inventor like penicillin is from like a mold yeah well and i think it's so interesting too because i think it's the first time really in any of the books that you see the twins as more than just like wreaking comedic havoc and it's so interesting when you think about this because like it's not like they ever had good marks at school. Like, they just kind of, like, they survived. They were never, like, you know, top of the class or anything like that. But you start seeing that they're making all of these things. And, like, they were probably terrible at potions. But look at what they're making. Well, you know, they have, like, you ever hear those stats about, like, geniuses that just like drop out of school early mm-hmm. that don't have good marks. They're yeah. geniuses, but like like Bill Gates dropped out of school. I think I think Einstein dropped out of school. D- didn't Walt Disney drop out of school at some point? And I think this is where you're starting to see like the twins were always clever because they'd have a clever comeback or they'd have this wit or they'd have this whatever. They always seem more street smart than <clears throat> book smart. But right. this is where you're seeing that this they're... is like really genius level stuff yeah. that they're mixing around in. Like, you always give... Just kind of crossing their fingers and hoping no one dies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, Bill gets tabbed as 
being smart, which he obviously is, and uh, Percy is obviously striving for academic excellence in his years at Hogwarts, but twins are dabbling in some stuff that's next level. Yeah. And I think if their professors really knew what they were up to, they'd be impressed. If I think of anything, they're mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I could have done that. Or it's like that combination of smarts, but also the creativity to actually think of it in the first place. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some of the things that they came up with, puking pastels, fainting fancies, and nosebleed nougat. All to get you out of class. <laughs> Just to get you out of class. <laughs> Half of the, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, bite, pill, I'm just know. assuming a taff, like a taffy tablet. I don't know what you call it. Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, half of it will make you ill, and then the other half will cure you. I, I in like theory. In, in theory, <laughs> and I like the, I like the problem that they ran into is like, can you not puke long enough to actually get the second pill in, or mm-hmm. can you, like, what ha- with the fainting fancy? How do you figure that out? You just yeah. faint and then wake up. Like they don't even have probably a second pill for that. So there's some issues that they're running into about to tweak it, but they're so far ahead that they've started a mail order service and advertising it through the profit. Why the profit when you're really anti-profit and anti-ministry? Well, that's the time to do it because your parents don't read it. Which so again, everyone, just read the damn should profit. Read. You should still be reading it. Makes it makes me so angry. You should still know what like, they're talking guys, about. Guys, you should still find out what they're, like, you know, what lies they're spewing, what little weird things are happening. Like, still read the prophet. Yep. The twins are great in this chapter, I think. I, I think they just take themselves to a whole other level. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you know what is a lot? The serious family tree. Serious Black Family Tree is a lot. Um, so we get a whole lot of information on on his family, and I have a lot of questions, <laughs> if I'm being honest. But uh, we get a little bit more of Sirius and his disposition towards creature. Um, Hermione's still a little naive about the house elf saying she's not he's not mentally all there, which might actually be true. But you know, to your point, um, he feels like imprisoned. In this house where he does not have a lot of great memories from his childhood. Creature's a living embodiment of that. Uh, it doesn't have fond memories of that house elf. Or what the house elf really thinks. Sirius goes into, like, he was doing some weird uh, orders from the portrait of mm-hmm. his mother, who we've met a couple of times now. Not pleasant. I do, here's a question for you. I'll just get to this question now. Sirius is probably, like, in his... 30s, right, at this point? Uh, maybe maybe 40s. early 40s? I would say 40s. Sure. Which is roughly what James would have been yeah. at this point in time. Sirius's mother has passed now for a while. Mm-hmm. We don't ever hear of James's parents. Okay, ever. I looked this up. Y'all, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I was, I'm like, I have issues with this. Because they should be in like their yes. 60s. Yes, because... When I read that note in uh, the outline for this episode, I was like, that's actually a great question. Yes. What happened to them? So, according to a fandom website that I found online, so if anyone has different information for me, don't come at me. Just 
please let me know that I was wrong. That's what commenting on Twitter is for. Yes. Let us know. <laughs> um, according to a random source on, on the internet, James's parents actually never met Harry because they died of dragon pox. That's unfortunate. Yes. So apparently they both caught dragon pox at some point between when James and Lily got married and before Harry was born. Okay. Wow. All right. I, now that, like, I'm thinking about it. We don't, the only grandparent we really see is Neville's, right? Yeah, I think so. Is that right? <laughs> like, the only one I could think of is Neville's. And then we don't, like, grandparents don't exist in this world other than that. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know. Anyway. So don't um, worry, Dan. I looked it up. <laughs> yes, I am glad you did. Because that was one of my questions. I'm like, why don't grandparents exist <laughs> in Harry Potter? I don't know. So we get into this whole tapestry that happens. And written on the tapestry is, uh, I'm going to butcher the, Did you ever take French? You took French. No, no? I did not okay. take French. Toujours... Pure? Pure? I don't know. It's always pure, is what it means in French. Always pure. And Sirius references this pure blood mania, this sense of self-entitled royalty that his family had, being a pure blood black family. Which I feel like most of, minus like the Weasleys, most of the purebred families that we've met in the series have either slightly shown or have very loudly shown that they feel the same way. The other prominent one is the Malfoys. Yeah. Um, that we've kind of ran into regularly at yeah. least. Um, but yeah, the tapestry is roughly seven centuries old, roughly from the Middle Ages. We have some burnt off black uh, blasted marks that Sirius Uncle Alfred. Alfred? Alfard? Alfred? Alfred. And Andromeda uh, were all blasted off this tapestry for various reasons. Most relating to Sirius. <laughs> yes. Andromeda was his favorite cousin. Uncle Alfred actually gave him some money when he passed. So, um, yeah, they just got blasted off of the family tree. Which leads me to this. They're, they're struggling to take this tapestry off the wall. And we already discussed, like, permanence to King Charms in the Wizarding World. But... If you're serious, or if you're anybody else, really, I, I get you have some personal biases if you're serious. But if you're serious, wouldn't you be tempted to blast off some names that you particularly dislike? <laughs> you're capable. Or, number two, do you think it's, it's not great and it's a scar that you don't like looking at, but it's still a, for better or worse, a portrait of history? Like, is it still worth the historical value of having that that tree? I I don't know. My destroy it or preserve it. What do you take? Destroy it. You're in destroy Bye-bye. it. Bye bye. And my reason being is like, especially now that the purebloods have gotten so slim, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the other, when you start looking at this tapestry and see how interconnected. Um, all of them are. I mean, like, when you're walking through it, almost every pure blood that we've met so far is on this tapestry. So they're all related. J.K. Rowling probably got a little bit of inspiration from royal families of uh, way back in the day where you only married your cousins. Um, 
to keep your bloodline pure, mm -hmm. pure bloods, anyone. So I would have to think that when all of the pure bloods are essentially related, they all have something relatively similar to this. And like, unless it's one of those where, I mean, I can't even think of a good example of where it wouldn't have been written down somewhere else. I mean, I think probably like a they public were record just, yeah, there's probably some public record and I'm assuming that the reason that it's on the wall and displayed is pretty much for the black family to be like, these are the people that we socialize with and that's it. I would probably preserve it. However, I would be very tempted to burn off a couple of names that particularly irked me. <laughs> but... I don't know, but then like, what's the point of preserving it if you're going to like randomly like burn off names? At that point, you might as well, well just Then I just sharpie in the name underneath. <laughs> like burn off the picture, but just sharpie in over the top. Put Dumbledore in your family tree. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> so there, mom. <laughs> well, let's talk about Sirius's family for a second. Uh, we learned a little bit about him. I'll run through them and then Julie, you can hit me with whatever thoughts you got. He mentions his younger brother, sorry, his idiot younger brother, quote-unquote, idiot younger brother, Regulus Black, who died 15 years ago. Uh, he presumes he was either killed by Voldy or on Voldy's orders. He ends up settling on orders because he doesn't think his brother was important enough to be killed by Voldy himself. Thinks he got cold feet uh, as a Death Eater, wanted to back out. You can't back out. Which I also think is a very interesting thing to come from Sirius when you know that his brother was a Slytherin, was essentially the golden boy of the family because he was also a Slytherin. And I think it's very interesting that Sirius would say like, oh yeah, and then he thought he was in too deep and he backed out. And it's just very interesting to me that when it seems like his brother kind of followed what the family wanted, Drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah, drank the Kool-Aid and that he would actually, like, back out and, you know, maybe do something a little Gryffindory. Well, they, they've, I think Sirius has talked before about how there have been people and in these pure-blood families that are like, oh, Voldy is right, he's got such a great idea, and then they realize, like, what Voldy's willing to do to his... And they're like, he still has a great idea, but we're just not gonna say it out loud. Well, yeah, we're not. We're not that far. <laughs> uh, we're not gonna kill people or torture them, but we're not gonna be sad that someone else did it. Right. Exactly. And so that's where he thinks his brother was, which is kind of just an interesting thought. He thinks he's an idiot for following the family line, and then he also thinks he's an idiot for thinking he can just back out of the Death Eaters. Sirius does not think highly of Regulus. He also doesn't think uh, very highly of Phineas Nigellus, who's, uh, he claims, I will say this is a biased source, I don't know if, uh, can we take a poll of the wizarding world? <laughs> uh, but according to Sirius, he's the least popular headmaster that a Hogwarts has ever had. Don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, we'll see. And then we get, uh, I'm going to butcher some of these names, so bear with me, Araminta Melaflua. I'll take it. Uh, she tried to pass a bill to make muggle hunting legal. Seemed like a delightful woman. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the black family seems peachy keen. Yeah. You have Aunt Eladora, who started the tradition of beheading house elves when they became too old. Awesome. Just a lovely decoration. It's like... Which, like, it's one of those where... The wizarding you... version of Gaston? <laughs> Is that what that is? Give me a second. <laughs> it's another Disney reference for I you, know. Julie. You're killing me, Dan. It's interesting because it sounds like 
terrible, but when you think about like the house elf mentality, like I almost feel like house elves would prefer that to being given clothes. Well, you see, creature almost views it as like this is the goal to yeah. aspire to. Yeah. Like this is what I want for. I you never someday. disappointed my family, and now I'm on their wall forever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm part of this legendary black family tree. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, we get into some more relatable members of the family. Um, we have Tonks, which is technically his like second cousin or like second niece, something like that. Yeah. I, I for, you get into the specifics of this, and it gets murky. They're all related. I mean, essentially. So Tonk, uh, Nymphadora Tonks, her mother is Andromeda, who is Sirius's cousin, and Andromeda married yes. a Muggle-born, and. That caused her to be excommunicated from the family. But the interesting thing about Andromeda is she is sisters with Bellatrix, who we've met briefly in uh, the memory. Uh, mm -hmm. If you remember, she was quite psychotic in that uh, memory of her going to Azkaban. And Narcissa, who is Draco Malfoy's mother. Which Harry's making these connections and going, well, you've got to be kidding me. You're yeah. related to Draco Malfoy? Well, and um, it's actually a note that I had, too, of um, at the bottom of page 114. Harry says, you never said she was your... Doesn't matter if she's my cousin, Snap Sirius. As far as I'm concerned, they're not my family. She's certainly not my family. I haven't seen her since I was your age, unless you count a glimpse of her coming to, into Azkaban. Do you think I'm proud of having relatives like her? Sorry, Harry said quickly. I didn't mean, I was just surprised, that's all. It doesn't matter, don't apologize, Sirius mumbled at once. He turned away from the tapestry, his hands deep in his pockets. I don't like being here, he said, staring across the drawing room. I never thought I'd be stuck in this house again. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because, again, like, I get it, Harry. You weren't part of, like, the wizarding world for, like, very long. But, like, sometimes Harry says things that you're just like, bro, come on. <laughs> and, like, yes, like clearly they're all interconnected and yeah. like the way that you're saying like she's your cousin is it's like okay like harry you already know that sirius is like a good guy and the way that like you're saying this like isn't making him feel any better he's trapped in this house that has all of these terrible memories for him reminding him that like he comes from like terrible terrible people mm -hmm. who did terrible things or wanted terrible things done and he's literally trapped in it there's no escaping it because every room of this house that we've seen has had some reminder of the black family and what they stood for and half of it is like cemented magically to the walls and Sirius who can't do anything to essentially like bring actual like good to the black family name is literally stuck in this house right. cleaning like the house elf. I think Harry had one of those moments where he was so genuinely surprised that he just let something slip. And it was just like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But then it just like, it's out there now. So now you just have to yeah. deal with it. But it's... We already have bad mental health care in the wizarding <laughs> world. But like seeing this, it's Oof. like... Ooh. There's a lot of family therapy here. A lot like, of family therapy. You were stuck in Azkaban for 13 years with just your own thoughts. 
And then you essentially get trapped into the house that I'm sure like fueled Childhood a lot trauma. of your, yeah. yeah. And it's just constantly around you. And then you have people like Snape who are constantly reminding you that like, you know, you're stuck in the house, can't do anything. I will give um, Harry this because I think he has that thought of like, yeah, whenever Snape says we're just sitting here cleaning, this is like a life or death battle that we're having every day <laughs> with his house. It's a little, uh, you know, it's a little derivative to just be like, oh, you're cleaning. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, we, we've talked about the pure blood interconnectivity. I think even more surprising than the Malfoy bit is Sirius and Molly Weasley are technically related. He's related to Molly via marriage. They're cousins through marriage. So it's like literally every pure blood family has a connection to every other pure blood family. Yeah, and point. I think that like the Weasleys are the ones that are almost a little bit shocking because even though you know they're pure bloods, like I feel like you forget since they're the most like, you know, sane right. of all the pure bloods that we've met. Um, but I feel like once you get that one, it's like, oh, you're like all connected. You know what I always forget is because I'm so used to saying Bellatrix Lestrange and she married into that name, Rodolphus. Mm -hmm. We should just start calling her Bibi. <laughs> Bellatrix Black, Bibi. Like, I think that'd be, that's her nickname, right? If I was serious, that's exactly what I would do just to like tick at her a little bit. <laughs> But anyway, that's me being weird. Um, so we also learned that Sirius's father uh, had quite the impact on this house in that he made it unplottable. He started making these defensive enchantments around the house that Albus um, added a little flavor to, let's say, bolstered it quite a bit. But I also love that it's called out that his father did it so that muggles wouldn't like stop by. And I'm just imagining like, you know, a door-to-door -door salesman showing up in the black house and Sirius's like father being like, I'm done. See, now <laughs> that just makes me imagine the opening to Book of Mormon. Yeah. Like, hello. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's that what would, I'm saying. That would not end well. That would not end well. But is this like, what I want to know is the stuff that like Sirius's father put on the house to make it unpotable. Yeah. Is this like normal everyday magic? Like, is this the equivalent of like, an ADT home security system for wizards that you can just be like, all right, we're going to make it unplottable so that no one can find the house. Or is this like advanced stuff? Because like Dumbledore's protections are like advanced stuff. But I want to know like, at what point are we starting at? Are we starting at like normal wizarding protections or was his dad also a very skilled wizard? Um, I'll keep this Spoiler-free, because there is a spoiler route. We can go with it. Yeah. Um, but non-spoiler, I want to say it's like... I want to say it's advanced magic to make it unplottable specifically. And uh, say what you will about the Black Family Tree. There are a lot of, for better or worse, very talented, smart individuals there. They might be crazy, but they're smart and yeah. they're talented. So I, they do have magical talent. And we do get some examples without saying what they are or whatever. Hogwarts is one, for example, that's unplottable that we know of. But, you know, we get those examples, but that doesn't mean, like, everybody can do it. That just means, like, one wizard, or maybe they had a ministry official come in and do it, or they had multiple people collaborate. Well, that's what, I think that's the one thing that I wish we got a little bit more of in all of the books, is, like, a better understanding of what's, like, 
the average level of magical capabilities. Because, like, like sometimes you hear things and you're like, whoa, that is wild. Like, yeah. you must be powerful to be able to do that. And then, like, you know, well, the, four pages later, you're like, oh, wait, maybe everyone can do that. That's, but that's the thing. Say what you will about the Fantastic Beast movies. The one thing I really liked across all of them was how they imagined adult magic. Mm-hmm. And it's leaps and bounds above what we get in the general Harry Potter books. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, you made like this bat bogey hex and now they look kind of weird and ha ha ha. Adult magic can be really inventive and crazy. And, and that's just like adults who have finished their schooling. Yeah. Let well, alone people that And I think about that, that like, all the time when I'm like rereading these is the like, wait, why does anyone have problems in the wizarding world? You want a bigger house? Well, let's take out our wands and make something appear. Like, and so it's like, I would love to know. You saw a glamping know... tent in the Goblet of Fire. That yes. was like. And so it's like, I'd yeah. love to know like what, <clears throat> or even like what regulations the ministry has and stuff like that. Like, are there building codes? Are you really saying you would like to, in, in the episode of the HBO Harry Potter series, we're going to take an episode to deal with like, the minutia of bureaucracy in the Ministry yes. of Magic. <laughs> Just people passing bills and being like... Like, I want to know, like, if you want to put, like, an addition on your house... Apparently, I'm really into wizarding home renovation these past couple of episodes. <laughs> but, like, if you want to put an addition on your house, like, do you have to go to the Ministry and be like, these are the spells I'm using to put it up? Or is it just like, oh, wow, you guys have a bigger house today. I, I feel know. like I could I, talk about this for an entire episode, Dan. I think this might have to be like special features or something. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we are running long on the non-spoiler. Anyway, we can uh, we got some stuff to talk about in the spoiler episode uh, mm-hmm. part of the episode. So we'll pause here and get to the spoilers. So we will be right back. All right, so we are back with the spoiler section for Chapter Six: The Noble and Most Ancient. House of Black. And I think that's the most apt description of a house, the most <laughs> ancient house of black. <laughs> so, so apt. So there's a couple of things that we kind of wanted to dig into. Uh, the first thing is kind of a small thing, although it's a big thing, really, I guess, is the empty portrait that they keep referencing in Ron and Harry's room that he hears, like, faint snoring in. Mm-hmm. It's it's Phineas Nigelis's portrait who we referenced in the non-spoiler section former headmaster at hogwarts why is that relevant well he also has a portrait somewhere else and that is in albus's office at hogwarts this is a spy this Mm -hmm. is an elaborate spy to shuffle information back and forth yeah you're telling me that that portrait just so happens to be in the room yeah they just roomed them there yeah like it's so depending on your feelings of Dumbledore, either secretive or deceitful. Take your pick. Yeah, that's fair. Um, And so Dumbledore doesn't do anything without thinking about it. So those boys are in that room for a reason, whether anyone realizes it or not. So wait, do you think that like uh, Harry comes in and starts screaming at Ron and Hermione? Do you think Phineas Nigelis that night is like, Albus, you would not believe the drama in that room. <laughs> OMG. Okay. <laughs> like, they just have like a little gossip slumber party in the headmaster's office. Most likely he's like, Albus, 
Can you just re-room them so I don't have to listen <laughs> to 15-year-old angst for endless hours at a time? Well, I think the interesting thing, too, about that is think about the level of, like, trust and dedication that these headmasters must have to one another that Phineas would be able to go back and report things to Dumbledore when, like, he's literally surrounded by who knows how many other headmasters' portraits that, like... Let's be real. They can't all be good people. You can argue that this particular one yeah. is not necessarily to be trusted. They, like you're saying, they do have portraits in other places. So yeah. they could just go to their other portrait and be like, they're talking about some crazy stuff in there. Like, he's also related to Bellatrix. So maybe her family has a portrait of him. I wonder if there is a, a magic on the Hogwarts headmaster's portrait specifically where they're like they are bound to be loyal to that office because i think snape ends up using them quite well yeah later and obviously harry uses this particular because he miraculously I, I think it was either him or hermione and i'm just giving hermione credit because she's hermione but one of them puts it together like hey wait a minute this could be advantageous to us yeah and they take the portrait with them which also like has the Portrait always been there? I would assume there's... I mean, with how important and famous this particular member of the Black family was, I'd imagine they've always had a portrait of some sort there. Yeah, but I could see it going either way, where it's like they either had it there or... Albus commissioned this post. This that he, like Albus grabbed another one because no one would think twice about Maybe? it. It's not like Sirius is going to be like, oh... Mom did some redecorating while I was gone. He's going to be like, cool, more stuff I have to throw out. And this is obviously not a permanent sticking charm if they yeah. take it with them later. So maybe. Yeah. I mean, if you're a black family member and you're proud of Phineas, you'd be like, and this is there forever. You know? You'd think. You'd think. Um, but yeah, it's just an interesting, very subtle thing that she's thrown in here. Mm-hmm. That... If you're just reading this for the first time, you're glossing over it. Yeah, you're not going to think anything. I did honestly, like, I didn't even think about it um, when I was rereading this chapter. And then I saw, like, your note, and I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, look, I read it through the first time doing this. I think it was even mentioned in an earlier chapter. And we glossed over it. Not because, uh, you know, I didn't notice it but it took a second for that to register and click like oh that's what that is yeah and i always like wonder how many of these like breadcrumbs like we've talked about them a lot of the like the little things that like you look back at and you're like oh well i want to know how many of them are actually intentional versus a like you know you're writing and then all of a sudden like she's like wait a minute hold on remember that portrait (laughs) I think I think there are two things in this chapter that are intentional plants. I think the portrait's intentional. I think uh, we'll get to some others. Yeah. Uh, the put outer, for example, definitely a retro, uh, like a retcon of like yeah. I'm taking that and I'm making it something else later. Um, that's a retcon. But the the portrait I think is intentional. Speaking of small things that she just drops Mm -hmm. i think the locket i don't know what do you think is that intentional or does she pull that one back and make it something later i feel like it has to be i'm gonna call it intentional 
Mainly because I feel like at this point in writing the books, she had to have some type of end game. In like, I mean, in we're place. getting there. We're past yeah. halfway. I think it's a great pull from her when you get to Deathly Hallows, and they put it all together, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, what a pull that is! And then you like go back two books. And read the section where I wasn't kidding. The only description of that thing is literally a locket that no one could open. That's it. That's literally the only words about it. Yeah. And then it's just tossed. When you look at all of the protections that are being like quietly shouted from a rooftop in this chapter, mm-hmm. like I feel like it's too obvious to be a like, oh, I talked about a locket once. Let's use that. So this thing is. Unable to be opened, right? You probably have Sirius take a shot at it. You probably have Molly take a shot at it. I don't know who else around the order on a given day would take it. I don't even know if they would even pose it to the order. Like, hey, uh, Lupin, you mind taking a shot at this? Hey, Moody, you mind taking a shot at maybe opening this? How have they not thrown out the locket <laughs> at this point? Like, I don't know. Do they recognize that it has Slytherin symbol on it? And like, oh, this is probably like legit. Let's try to figure this out. Do you, don't you think Dumbledore would be interested in like, Hey, wait a second. You're telling me there's a locket with Slytherin symbol on it, and none of you guys, as talented and as brilliant as you are, can figure out how to open this thing? Hmm. It's a little shocking that Dumbledore wouldn't have kind of, like, gone through the house before setting everything up. But the counter to that is it's a locket. The point of the the Horcruxes is that they're somewhat, I mean, they're important, but they're important to him. Him. They're yeah. not necessarily important to other people. The fact that they're thinking about throwing it away feeds what Voldy did with it in the first place. Yeah. No but one's like, going to come to Dumbledore and be like, hey, you mind trying to take a, you know. But you're telling me that Dumbledore wouldn't be able to, like, feel the bad vibes from the locket? Yeah, but no one's going to. I agree with you, but you I don't think. You think that he would have searched the house to make sure that it was an okay spot yeah. for them to use as a headquarters. I think none of them feel like it's important enough to bring to his attention, which is the problem. Yeah, but you'd think that, like... They're not... I still feel like Dumbledore would be able to, like, feel the vibes of the locket if he were within the realm of it. Also, why have we not thought about the fact that maybe everyone is fighting with everyone because the locket's in the house? Oh, that's a great point! I just thought about that now. Oh, that's a phenomenal point. I love that. Because, like, listen, I'm not changing my stance. I know, I know, I know. Harry or Percy, but... But you do make a really valid point there. Is the lock... Like, sure, no one's wearing the locket, but it's still... A presence in the house. A presence in the house. So is that why, like, Harry snapped and he couldn't stop himself? Or is that why... Sirius and Molly both got so quickly defensive. Is that why, like, everyone in that house... Little on edge. ...is on edge? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's so many other explanations for it. Like, it could be that, like, every time the doorbell rings, like, Sirius' mom starts screaming. Also, disable the doorbell. I don't understand why no one's <laughs> done that. Disable the doorbell. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, there's so many other things happening in the house that could easily explain why they're on edge, but... Wouldn't it also be an easier explanation that the reason they're all on edge and all kind of snippy with each other is because... There's a horcrux in their presence? There's a horcrux in their presence? Uh, I think that's a phenomenally reasonable take to make because 
Uh, to your point, it, it, they're not wearing it, so they're not getting the full effect yeah. like we see later in the books with Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Um, but I think it's just it being there has an aura about it. Yeah, well, and if you <coughs> think about the fact that like Harry is also Horcrux. Um, right, so just there's so a general level of... So you already have yeah. the fact that like Harry is going to be sharper tempered i guess and then add that like you have two horcruxes in the same place Mm -hmm. and i guess like i would assume that harry's like horcrux vibe isn't as strong because obviously like harry's still a person but you know we've had we have had that conversation that maybe the dursleys are as ornery as they are because they're in a house with harry who's Mm -hmm. a horcrux I mean, just throwing that tad bit. Yeah, so when you throw in the fact that, you know, you have the locket there, and then once Harry's there, like... Right. Oh, I love that idea a lot. I never thought of that either. That's an interesting thought, and I like it a lot. And And again, you would think that Dumbledore would notice that everyone's in a crankier mood, (laughs) but no. But but that's, that's the brilliance of this Horcrux from Voldy, is because... You can make a thousand and one excuses to why everybody's on edge in that house and not think twice about a article or an accessory from Slytherin. Yeah, but it still seems weird to me that Dumbledore of all people who like, you know, there could be a speck of dirt on the floor and Dumbledore would be like, that speck of dirt is from Egypt. There's something in Egypt. Let's go. <laughs> and like he could figure it out. But like he's got a lot of it in his plate, too. But he's currently trying to find the Horcruxes. We don't know how far along that path he is. We know that he's started it with the diary, and he started to think about it. Obviously, he's concerned that Harry's one, because yeah. that's why he's starting to ignore him. Uh, I don't know when he exactly starts the search for the ring, if that's like during this book or between five and six, but it's somewhere in that time frame. Yeah. So, I mean, he's knocking on that door. I don't know how far down that path he's gotten. Yeah. But... Now, like I said, if Molly was like, hey, Albus, you know, this is, seems kind of odd. None of us can open this locket. It's got Slytherin's mark on it. What are your two cents? If he gets his hands on that locket, oh, you best believe he'll figure that out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's right there. Everything is right there. Like, you'd think that Dumbledore, like, knowing how much, like, dark magic the black family is kind of like associated with do you think that's dulling the vibe of the horcrux that there's so much dark there's spider tweezers julie there's spider tweezers (laughs) like there's so much there that it just kind of like all grays out but it just shocks me that there wouldn't be some level of dumbledore kind of wanting to like canvas the whole thing yeah and and, I, i don't know maybe he's putting too much faith in the moodies of the world and the you know, the other members of the order or, to figure that out. Or Moody, for that matter. Why hasn't Moody combed through <laughs> right? all of the stuff to make sure that it's not... Like, instead, you're like, oh, let the women and children clean it up. All right, calm down. Well, I, I think I, that's what it comes down to, is I think Albus and Moody are... They have a lot on their plates, and they're dealing with stuff. They're barely ever in the house to begin yeah. with. So it's like, I, shoot, it's been days, weeks, and they're still waiting to clear out this boggart because Moody hasn't been there. You know, yeah. it's like, okay. It's it's frustrating in that it's right there, and it's also, it's just not, because it's yeah. two books away from being 
figured out. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Speaking of being two books away from being figured out, <laughs> Regulus Black is dropped in this chapter. The name Regulus Black. Yes. And Julie, if you remember, the furor that was developed in Harry Potter chat rooms <laughs> over this clue that was dropped at the end of book six with R.A.B. Yep. R.A.B. Well, who could R.A.B. be? Well, you have, people comb through the books mm -hmm. trying to find an answer, and you had Regulus Black. I get you didn't have the middle initial, but you had Regulus Black. A reasonable person could assume, wait a minute, you got two of the three. Maybe? Yeah, but I feel like when you think about who was reading these books and what age they were when they came out, like, not saying that we weren't all intelligent teenagers, but... <laughs> I feel like we probably all just glossed over it and we were like, all right, like whatever. Like yeah. we're looking for R-A-B, R-A-B, R-A-B. Why is there no middle initial anywhere? Yeah. I, I mean. So given all that we know of Regulus and his full story, what's your opinion now of Sirius's take on him? And do you think if Sirius knew the full like story, does that change his opinion of his brother? Or does he still hold enough <clears throat> resentment to cancel it out? I think there's always going to be some level of resentment there because he was always what the Black family wanted him to be in the beginning anyway. And even when Sirius talks about, like, you know, he tried to back out of being a Death Eater, like, Sirius isn't giving him any, like, praise for that. Right. And... I think because of his level of, like, not to loosely use the word trauma, but, like, his trauma of being a part of the black family and trying to be, like, better than what his family was. Like, I think there's always going to be some level of resentment. I don't think that he's going to sit there and be like, well, whatever, you didn't actually help us, bro. But, like, I don't think it would ever turn into a, like, wow, I wish I was closer with my brother or I wish that, you know, I didn't pretend that I didn't have a family or anything like that. I think it would be more of a, like, well, I mean, I guess he wasn't as terrible as a person as I thought he was. I have two follow-up questions, and they're somewhat related. They are related. Do you think what Regulus ends up doing, and I guess we can get more into this when we get there in book seven, but for right now. Claiming that chapter now, Dan. <laughs> Do we say Regulus is a redeemed character? That's actually a really good question. I think... Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you had me speechless there for a while, Dan. How frequently does that happen? Never. <laughs> I'm going to say not necessarily full redemption per se. And the only reason that I say that is we don't know what happened before that point. We don't get really all of his actions as a all death of his actions as a death eater so we don't know if it was he became a death eater because he knew that it would essentially like make his family proud and that's what his family wanted and then all of a sudden he started seeing things and was like oh this is why most of my family didn't sign up for this okay well this this is kind of terrible i should find a way out we don't know if it's that or if you know he got close to becoming like Bellatrix and instead was like, wait, hold on. I see the light. We got to stop this. 
Um, and I think that's what makes it hard for me to say if I think he'd be redeemed because you don't know if he was just a naive youth who then saw that like Sirius was in the right, not the rest of his family. So he tried to like bring actual good honor to his family right. instead of like this additional darkness or if you know was he torturing and killing and then all of a sudden it got slightly too far or was it he realized like how terrible horcruxes are and like how dark that magic is and was like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. too far too much like, this has to stop. No one should have this much power. Yeah. And I found a way to try and do something about it. I won't ask you the loaded question of who's more redeemable, Regulus or Severus. I won't ask you that now. I will at a later time. But I will ask you, uh, you know, we've talked with Jen about uh, good Slytherins. Mm-hmm. And good examples of Slytherins, and usually we point to Slughorn as the first somewhat neutral Slytherin, and that comes in book six. Would you count Regulus as, like, a Slytherin that has... It's kind of like the Redeemed. I guess I'm going a step lower than Redeemed. Yeah. I'm just like, he does some good here. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that I'd necessarily, like, use him as the, like, you know, shining star on I top of either. the Christmas tree here. But, like... I would say it it brings at least some more like positive light onto Slytherin. Now, I think part of the problem and what we were talking about with Jen too is that like what you see with Slytherins is all of the people who've done big bad. Right. All the things that you see with Gryffindors are the people who've done the big goods. Right. And so I don't think that he necessarily brings this like bright shining light to Slytherin because like the bar is so low. Well, because <laughs> like... most Slytherins also still have some level of good in them. You look at Snape, you look at Malfoy, like, you look at Narcissa Malfoy, like, they all have some... Yeah. Latent humanity. Yeah, like, they have humanity, there is some good in them, but there's not a, like... A Dumbledore or like there's no one that's... Not a Lupin or like yeah. someone who's mostly good. Yeah, you don't have anyone that has been shown to us in Slytherin that if you said the name to anyone, they'd be like, wow, they're an amazing person. Right. Instead, it's like, oh, they were in Slytherin? Okay. Yeah. And it doesn't like matter what good they did because they're in Slytherin. And I think that was kind of the point that... Yeah. Jen had made in the past of like, there's no one that's. See, look at, there's an amazing person in Slytherin. We're not all terrible people. It's the, well, yeah, I mean, y'all are in Slytherin, so y'all are probably decently terrible people, but you probably do some good too. I, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think Regulus, at the very least, passes that low bar of like, you have done something good in the series and you've made a positive impact. On the wizarding world. It's a low bar, but, but it is a bar enough, he's crossed. It's not a level of good that turn that tips the scales for Slytherins on the like sure. PR front, I'll call it. No, I probably agree with you on that. Let us know what you think about Regulus Black. <laughs> so do you have any other spoilery things? When they're talking about Harry's hearing coming up, 
and being worried about if Harry will be expelled, what happens to Harry. Harry says, but if they do expel me, Harry said quietly, can I come back here and live with you? Sirius smiled sadly. We'll see. Um, so my like question that I pose is, does Sirius know about the protections in place at the Dursleys? Like, is that why he's like, is the smiling sadly a, I'm so sad that Harry has to even think about the fact that he could be expelled and not allowed to use magic again? Or is it sadly because Sirius knows that Harry has to go back to the Dursleys to stay protected? Because that seems like something that you, that Dumbledore would want to keep pretty tight lipped. Like you don't necessarily want people right. to know the additional protections that you're putting on Harry. Right. Is he sad because he does know about this protection because he's already had this conversation with Dumbledore? Or does he say it sadly because he feels sad that Harry's even having this thought that things might not go his way? I, I think it's a conversation he's already had with Dumbledore because I agree with you completely that from Albus's perspective, he does not want to advertise the fact that Harry has particular protections at the Dursleys. Mm -hmm. However, Albus does know that if Harry and Sirius had their way, Harry would be at Grimald Place. Yeah. So I think he would have to tell Sirius, like, no, 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 there is a reason why he's got to be at the Dursleys. As much as you both want to be here, there's a bigger picture. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, maybe Sirius is loyal enough to Dumbledore to just take that at face value and be like, okay. Or maybe Sirius fought back a little bit. Now this was like, no, 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 here's the plan. Which again goes into what we like talked about a lot in previous chapters of the like people keep keeping these secrets like from Harry for Dumbledore and it's like again just tell Harry that he has to go to the Dursleys for two weeks right like you don't even have to tell him why just be like listen there's things in place you just have to be there for two weeks here's your little like ray of sunshine at the end of the clouds like suck it up. And then you can come back. To your point about Sirius being reckless and maybe you don't want to tell him the full the full plan, I think Dumbledore learned his lesson about Sirius after he figured out the whole events of how James and Lily died. I think he now looks at Sirius a whole other different way. That, yes, Sirius would be put in situations that might be dangerous or might be compromising. But I think what Albus learned about who Sirius Black is, is if he's in that situation, I think he would truly just die than, yeah. than give up somebody else. And we know Albus, because we've talked about it on the last episode or the one before it, but we've talked about how Albus has his pension for loyalty above all else. Mm -hmm. And I think he's truly a believer now in Sirius that I can trust him to make the ultimate sacrifice before giving up anything real. Yeah. Well, and I guess to be fair, it's hard to not put that trust in Sirius as well, because like, what else does he have other than like his trust and like his loyalty? In addition to everything that you just said, the one thing that Sirius does have that he really truly cares and loves more than anything else, is Harry. It is the last Horcrux. <laughs> so it's like, 
I think Albus recognizes, like, if our goal is to protect Harry, I think that's first, foremost, second, third, fourth, fifth, a hundredth mm-hmm. on Sirius's list of things I have to do. So whatever I need to do to do that, done. Yeah. And uh, I think Albus trusts in that as well. So I think he, Albus has a lot of reasons to put a lot of faith in in serious. Yeah. Though, and specifically, that's why he doesn't want him caught. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, you have to be here because I need you. Yeah. Do you have anything else for the spoiler section? Um, one last spoiler <clears throat> yeah. um, regarding Creature, actually. Um, Creature kind of gets talked about a lot in both the chapters and by all of us with like his ramblings and mm-hmm. um, obviously most of the characters in the book look at him and are like, oh, he's lost his mind. That's why he's rambling. That's why he has, like, no filter. Right. Um, But I think in this chapter specifically, you kind of see that, like, Creature is all there and that he is a lucid. Yeah, he's much more competent than he lets on or what others would like to believe. Like, I think Sirius would like to be... I'd like to believe that creatures kind of become derelict in his duties and he's just taking orders from this portrait and blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, like they're all assuming that since he'll like hurl insults practically under his breath that it's because like he's lost his mind so he doesn't realize Even he's Hermione saying is loud. saying that. Yeah, but on page 118 when Sirius threatens Creature with clothes, um... It says, but Creature fixed him with a watery stare and said, Master must do as Master wishes, before turning away and muttering very loudly, but Master will not turn Creature away, no, because Creature knows what they are up to. Oh yes, he is plotting against the Dark Lord, yes, with these mudbloods and traitors and scum. So I think it's fair to say that through the, and this is why that series quote in Goblet of Fire is so poignant with the, uh, we've mentioned it multiple times, but it's... Not how you look at your equals, it's how you look at your inferiors. I think it's fair to say that house elves as a whole are a theme throughout the books mm-hmm. that come back in a big way in book seven as they turn the tide of a battle that was going the wrong way. And why? It's because people like Albus, people like Harry, people like that that don't overlook uh, something or someone that... Mm-hmm. Just because they're small, like George said, yeah. just because they're small doesn't mean they're not powerful. Mm-hmm. That's a house elf. Yeah. They're very small. They're very, like, diminutive. They're very submissive. But they have big time power. Yeah. Like, I mean, Creature literally right there is blackmailing all of them. And is like, really? You want to get rid of me? Guess what happens if you get rid of right. me? Like, yes, it would be, like, the worst thing that could possibly happen to Creature. But Creature also recognizes the fact that, like, he holds more leverage than anyone in that house does. Which Albus knows, and Sirius does know. He's not, yeah. he's not an idiot. But these people are aware of that. What ends up happening is the other side of this, the, the Death Eater Voldy side, they put stock in bigger things. Giants, mm-hmm. acromantulas, like bigger, more dementors, bigger, more yeah. scary things. When, in fact, the house elves are the ones that deal them the most damage. And it's like, that's a whole underlying theme of these yeah. books uh, that I think very few people pick up on. And I mean, look at what ends up happening in 
the end, a teenage a group of teenagers essentially takes down yeah one of the and like worst who is on that frontline charge mm-hmm. creature is one of those first house elves out which is granted it's a big character flip yeah <laughs> for him but like but... i just think it's so like interesting that all of these previous chapters when we've talked about creature it's been is creature the most redeemable slytherin question (laughs) but like i feel like we've had all these chapters where you're like wow creatures like lost his mind he's essentially blackmailing them to make sure that he doesn't leave yes he is his mistress he is blackmailing them i was wondering how long it would take for us to say that yep and i think it also just kind of shows that like we're underestimating him and there's a lot of stuff that Creature, like, puts into motion, both good and bad. It's a serious blackmail job. <laughs> That's just stupid. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. And on that note. On that note, we should wrap it up here before I say more dumb puns. All right. We hope you enjoyed the noble and most ancient house of black with Julie, our most fervent serious black supporter. <laughs> Let us know what you thought of the episode by commenting on Spotify. That's an option. You can comment on our Twitter and Instagram. Uh, please share the episode. Keep it growing. That's one of the best things you can do for us. Uh, there's also the option of leaving us a voice message on Spotify. I haven't said that in a minute. Um, you can leave a voice message for us. You can also help support the podcast financially by leaving a donation we're still trying to get the post-red ads up and running. It's been a challenge, but uh, right now the donations are up and available. That would be awesome. Not mandatory. You can still listen to us for free, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to, to make these things as, as smooth as they are. So we appreciate all of the support, all of the listens. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back next week with Chapter 7. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.